All right. Well, I am here for another episode of the Charity Charge podcast. Um, the very first one actually in our new studio, which we're still finishing the kinks to get set up. But without further ado, seated across from me is a dear friend and someone that's known me for a very long time and was unbelievably helpful in the early phases of Charity Charge. And that is Eugene Sepulveda. He is the CEO of Entrepreneurs Foundation and partner and director at Capital Factory. Eugene, thank you so much for being here. Stephen, I love being the inaugural guest in your new spiffy room. Well, we had to start. It still needs to be organized a little bit, but yes, you know, fortunately, blue walls over here, and uh, this will be a good space. We got the accent, but we've got a bunch (laughs) to build out. So, fortunately, it's just the audio, and people can um, visualize it with their minds as as they wish. Um, You know, there's a bunch of things that I that I wanted to discuss and chat about, but you know, for anyone that's that's not familiar. With you and your background, I would say this um, before we get into the formal interview. You know, Eugene is someone that is the consummate um, um, person involved in the community here in Austin. He has done so many things. In fact, I think the city at once had a Eugene Sepulveda mm-hmm. day um, that I'm familiar with. But do you mind just briefly talking about a little bit um, your role at Entrepreneurs Foundation and and what they're doing in the community? And then also a bit about your role and, you know, what Capital Factory is all about. Sure. Well, in um, 19, no, in 2005, I was teaching at the University of Texas. And that was after having been Austin's first tech banker and then helped help launch a semiconductor startup. I was teaching at UT for seven years and friends said, hey, would you take a look at the Entrepreneurs Foundation? Tell us what we ought to do with it. He had gone through the 2001 tech bust after being established in 1999 with extraordinary expectations, as we all had. And so I said, sure, I'll do this for six months part-time. It's been 13 years. I'm still doing it part-time. And what I found is um, the Entrepreneurs Foundation was set up to help entrepreneurs, <coughs> excuse me, um, get involved philanthropically and civically in our community. And before 1999, we really weren't. The entrepreneurial community was nose to the grindstone. We had borrowed money, even though it was in the form of preferred stock. We didn't have a lot of money to give, but we did have equity. So we were setting that aside. Fast forward, that evolved to teams getting involved in the community from a volunteer perspective, even further, uh, kind of learning the intellectual capital of the community um, in addition to the financial capital. So we took on some big projects like Houston Tillotson's first or most important strategic plan. Got to give a lot of credit to McKenzie who came in and helped us with that. First neighborhood plan in East Austin, which was the Chestnut neighborhood. That's um, unbelievable. I never knew you were yeah, a part we, of that. We did that. We we helped develop the the MLK um, metro stop and gave creative creative action project people's fun and sustainable food center their lots. I was just over there the other day. Yeah, it's amazing what's now blossomed out of that. Which yeah. not to get on a tangent because I want want you to keep going where you're going, but I think is the economic impact that happens when you start and seed something just in right. a micro point of what's evolved all around there. And it's amazing to learn that you were the 
well, founda- Tom, a foundation the, in the Meredith. Yeah, the Meredith, the Meredith yeah. Foundation, the Meredith family started it, but they asked Entrepreneurs Foundation, and then especially my class that I was teaching at UT to get involved and help plan that. Um, so, in the intellectual capital, we we adopted all the breast cancer service providers in 2006 through 2008 to help them further tease out what it meant to serve um, women and men with breast cancer in this community. Um, it was at the same time that the um, the back then Lance Armstrong Foundation was coming to creating the term survivor rather than patient or someone that had been cured. Since even if you are no longer uh, facing cancer today, you still have issues to address. So we did that and left them with the, with the Mamma Jamma Ride Against Breast Cancer, which is coming up in a few years or a few weeks. That's you guys? Yeah, we helped them start that. You are. For, I'm so one. happy we're chatting about this. I mean, you guys are way too humble. This is unbelievable. Well, I'm familiar as, I mean, because here's the interesting perspective for people that are listening along. I'm familiar with these things as just a citizen and a resident, you know, by the, when you talk about the neighborhood or you talk right. about Mamma Jamma or you, um, but I had no clue, you know, that, that it was entrepreneurs foundation behind it and your work and, you know, your team's work and board and everybody over these years. Yeah. We had great it's, fun it's, doing it. It's awesome. The relatability. You then know, it's then the other one we did for six years was youth entrepreneurship. My friend Joe Lamont was, I think I know where you're going to go on this. Is this the lemonade day? Yeah. Lemonade yeah. Day. So, so that's where I initially, I mean, years back got involved and, you know, had volunteered at. Oh, is that um, right? With, um, I think, you know, with Lee and Shoby. I remember yeah. one time going up, uh, you guys were doing something at the Dell Diamond up in Round Rock. Exactly. And, you know, well, you know 95,000 kids participated in that. They raised $1.7 million. And, um, and then we helped start a lot of other youth entrepreneurship programs so that eventually we said, okay, we, we, we've done that. It's, it's a robust ecosystem in, in central Texas and we can let others who do it better than us do it. Um, we have since been involved in something called culturati, which, you know, I can circle back, but that's been where we've been putting our intellectual capital for the last several years. I've seen a lot of, I've seen a lot about that. I'm familiar with it, you know, at a high level I think a few things that I would just kind of point out from my perspective about your work and Entrepreneurs Foundation, um, I'd be remiss if I didn't mention, and I'm not sure the current kind of model with them, but my initially first touch point in Austin was my work with, um, at the time, Isaac Barkas and Mitch mm-hmm. Jacobson and Bart Bond and many others at the Austin Technology Incubator. And what struck me as a 23, 24-year-old is just so unique is I mean, number one, it was just so exciting to be around those tech companies and, right. and be around, you know, really passionate entrepreneurs, which helped put me on my path very much so with Charity Charge. But what I found so interesting was that those companies gave a percent of equity um, that essentially was held at Entrepreneurs Foundation. Um, so that was my really my first touch point to understanding Entrepreneurs Foundation. We had interestingly enough met um, independently on our own. I think the the universe kind of brought us together. And I was also though at ATI and I didn't even realize that component until you were the first person to tell me, I think when I mentioned my work at ATI and you said, Oh yeah, you know, we collaborate and work with them. And I think where I'm going with this, where I'm going to kind of put it, put it back to you as a question is 
what my perspective very much so is part of the value add that, you know, there's kind of two sides of entrepreneurs foundation. I mean, one is um, making it candidly giving back easier and more accessible for companies that are folk, you know, tech companies that are focused. And then as you're talking about all these amazing projects, entrepreneurs foundation sitting at the center to be that bridge as there's liquidation or capital or engaging these companies and their employees, you are in that center to then deploy that, um, whether it's using capital or, you know, for volunteer days, which I've, you know, probably been a part of as well. And I think are amazing. So, um, you mind talking about a little bit about just kind of that that intersection because I just think it's so cool um, and so meaningful yeah, um, to no. help these companies. It's a real business value add well, you know, for and, companies and, to be involved. You know, I want to acknowledge that that the charity charge has certainly set aside equity as well. So you're we're a proud you're member, a company. member company. And and funny that you bring up Mitch because I just called him two days ago to say, Mitch, do you know that Flow Below Arrow has had a liquidity event? This is a company that Mitch helped incubate. You got to get out. I was there at the time when it, um, Josh. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Josh Butler. That's so amazing. They had a yeah. liquidity event this week. We got in $166,000. And I'm going to wire that to Mitch uh, when I get to the office a little bit later today. That's unbelievable. Yeah. That is so cool. <laughs> I'm so happy for, I mean, for everyone. I mean, it becomes yeah. a win win. But yeah, I remember that. Boy, I mean, I'm going to get off on a whole tangent here, but I remember them initially coming into pitch and I was just kind of the guy in like standing back in the corner of the room. And I remember Isaac, especially like in in the way that he would to help being really hard on them and like pushing them for a bunch of things. Um, wow. Well, that's really incredible. And I remember them working out of that seven house. Seven or eight years later. Sure. Yeah. Wow. That's, that's really just, uh, so, and you know what, so you had asked, you know, where, where is this? The entrepreneurs foundation is, is a community foundation that helps entrepreneurs and their communities and, and their, in the community within their company, um, get engaged in the broader community in a way that helps them build culture in their organizations. And, you know, it's a win-win because today's stakeholders for all companies, employees, investors, customers, want to know that, that companies have a greater purpose beyond just getting rich or just making profits. Um, and you certainly want those two things to occur, but you want them to stand for a greater good. And particularly when you're getting started, it's hard to have any extra time, uh, but you can set aside equity so that as you're building value in the company, you're building value that's going to go back to the community. And it, it matters to employees. What are some of the things, I'm just curious, like big picture from when you got involved and you were talking about mm-hmm. it was, um, you know, in the early 2000s to now, um, are there, has the model stayed the same? Um, and the philosophy and the strategy or anything top of line, like big picture, like takeaways that you've, that you feel is like that, that have changed about what entrepreneurs foundation is doing, or just kind of macro learnings about companies of, of maybe how their leadership thought in the early two thousands versus how they might be embracing a model like this in 2019. Sure. Well, one it's, it, it is, um, in being engaged in the community um, is, is almost a requirement. 
we don't have to sell that any longer. And, and we don't even have to be the facilitators on, on both sides anymore. In the early days, nonprofits didn't have enough volunteer coordinators. And at the companies, there wasn't usually anyone who was tasked with community engagement. Today, both those things are true, almost everywhere. Once you get to 14, 15 people, the size of the company where you hire a, an office manager, your office manager um, always all, almost is the first person that takes on this role or your HR person, if you happen to hire an HR person early. Um, what's, not as, what's not as easy to do today is to convince people to set aside equity. In the old days, it was almost all Austin investors. They knew the Entrepreneurs Foundation. They knew the pitch. They knew the ROI. Um, and today, that's a little bit harder to sell to investors from, from either coast saying, hey, let's put 25 basis points or 50 basis points of warrants in a pool that will benefit the community. They're like, hey, when y'all get rich, y'all give to the community because it's not my community. Mm -hmm. um, but really, I, I'll tell you, what you always know is the best companies kind of do this in their sleep. They're the easiest to sell. So Joe Aragon at Austin Ventures and I used to laugh he'd look at our success rate, the, the percentage of the companies that had positive liquidity events versus the percentage of the companies that a VC invested in. He goes, why is y'all's percentage so much higher? I'm like, it just, you know, karma, if nothing else. But really, it is the insightfulness of those CEOs and those boards that say, this is a good thing to do. Our success should also be the community success. That kind of thinking is predictive of success. It's amazing for you to share it that way. I think it it's really insightful. I mean, it's kind of profound. I'm just almost like kind of taking that back in. And from my perspective, I mean, we already had a relationship and I had already learned about it and was inspired from it from ATI. So for me, it was a no brainer. It was just like, how could I not do this? Um, from a, you know, just from a perspective of, I am a part of the community. I mean, and I'm here, why would I not want to, want to have this give back and benefit? Um, can you, you'd mentioned a bit about culturati. Yeah. Um, my sense after now hearing this a bit more in depth, sitting down even these past 15 minutes with you is that culturati seems to kind of be stem out of perhaps some of the challenges that you've seen other companies face. And it's kind of like a bit of a learning tool and kind of resource. Um, can you talk about like the insight of why you created Culturati and some of the positive effects you've seen, you know, the people that have attended kind of get out of it and be able to bring back to their own companies? Sure. Let me give you a quick chronology. In, in, in 2012, I came to the board of the Entrepreneurs Foundation, who are all my friends, and said, hey, increasingly my calls by CEOs saying, come and talk to me. What's going on with recruiting and retention with cause related marketing, with engagement in the community, with even learning and development and communications. I mean, the questions were all coming. They know that I talk to kind of everyone always have, I've, you know, 
being the first tech banker, I probably know as many entrepreneurs as anybody else. And so it's a way of crowdsourcing. But what I remember telling my board in 2012, I said, all this really falls into the rubric of culture. And I think we might need to go there to really add value, be of value to our member companies. Fast forward to 2014, I was I was even more convinced of this. And um, we did a, a kind of a beta summit. So I had a day with six, <coughs> excuse me. So I produced a day with six different sessions, allowed up to 25 CEOs to attend each session. And we were talking about culture at the launch of a company, during growth, during times of crisis and transition, um, after post-liquidity event, um, from a marketing perspective and from community involvement perspective. Now, I invited different people to come in and start with a war story and then Stephen Tomlinson to facilitate the conversation around the table. And each of these sessions were 50 minutes and they were spectacularly successful that I had Brett Hurt, Bill Bach, um, Kirk Dando, I think Laura, Laura, who started ATI. Killcrease. Killcrease. And a couple of other folks come come as. I can't help you with much, but some of the ATI trivia. Yeah, exactly. Um, come in and were the experts to launch kind of the war story. But there was a, uh, it, it was like handing out water at the desert. You know, it, it became an oasis for conversations that, CEOs weren't really having. Um, so that gave rise to, I immediately went to Josh Jones, Dilworth. We coined the term culturati, which was meant to suggest that we were going to create this quote society or mm-hmm. this community of leaders who really valued and got, got the power of culture. So we launched culturati in 20. 16. Let's give a shout out and a plug to Josh, by the way, because he's a he's a good friend of mine and been a just a, a really friendly mentor and helpful to us at Charity Charge. So he, he I'd like is, to acknowledge him for a moment there. Exactly. Josh Stone Joe Ward JDI. I mean, Josh is um all my mentors are in their 30s or 40 these days. And um there's not much that I do without consulting Josh Jones Dilworth, who I would have called this morning, but he's on a plane to Dubai. Um, so we started Culturati. Um, it started as a summit, a once a year gathering. It's evolved and is meant to evolve to a learning community of, of executives from around the country, eventually from around the world, but we're not, we're going into our fifth year. And my goal for that was that it'd be national. So I've hosted Culturati dinners in New York, San Francisco, LA, Columbus, Traverse City, Houston last week. Um, I will be hosting in Toronto in next month. Uh, we do programming. We're bringing in you know, some of the best speakers from around the country. Uh, the head of Facebook's Global Learning is the first announced keynote. The second announced keynote, which when does this come on the air? Whenever you want it to. Can't before Thursday. Okay. Can't before tomorrow. So tomorrow we'll announce that uh, Arlen Hamilton, the founder of Backstage Capital, 
wow. will be a keynote as well. Um, we are, we are. I told you all, if you didn't know about Eugene, he's a heavy hitter. So this is incredible. I had no clue all this was happening. The, the theme for Culturati, January 26th, 27th of 2020. Um, and there's more on our website, culturatisummit.com is around leadership, but, but hierarchical leadership, as we understand it, individual leadership, myself as a leader, organizational leadership. So our company, you know, what's its responsibility? And, um, you know, increasingly the American public expects companies to take stands. Investors from Larry Fink, you know, the BlackRock, most important mm. institutional investor in the world outside of sovereign funds. Um, and 76% of institutional investors expect companies to take societal or political stands. It's not coincidental. And it's not against self-interest that Walmart is taking a stand about handguns and ammunition, nor that Target took a stand around transgender rights. That, I mean, increasingly our employees, our customers, and our investors are saying in this crazy, chaotic political environment, we're relying on corporations who the U.S. Supreme Court says are citizens. I may disagree with that, but for now, they're citizens. They're citizens with with outsized influence in our world. Therefore, they must have outsized responsibility. And you see them stepping up. Um, And um, that's the first time I would see the positive in that that statement. I mean, it's interesting to think of companies as citizens just for to humor the point or right. whatever. Um, and I'm nodding my head right, right along with what you're saying, you know, and you see it. I think it's really interesting how at the end of the day, when you play it all out, what the consumer demands drives decision-making. Right. You know, and what, and, and how we can appeal and, and benefit and serve our customer. I mean, and you see that in a lot of different ways um, with companies doing it, but then that's a whole aside we can go to about how, I mean, it would demand dictates, you know, isn't it kind of a foundational premise of charity charge when you got started? No, very much so. But I also look up to companies like um, Zappos and Amazon and other ones that have just been absolutely obsessed on um, providing as much value as possible to their customer. And if they can make them happy, then their their business is going to prosper. yeah, and and yeah, and then the flip side for sure about giving back. I mean, of course, I don't want to take away from that or right. Well, all, you but. you can see it at the extreme. I mean, look at look at where Walmart was ten years ago, mm-hmm. where you and I wouldn't be caught dead in there because it 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 was antithetical to who we wanted to present ourselves as, or um, you know, but but then they started doing better about workers' rights in overtime pay and benefits. And now they, they have stepped up, you know, on, on some gun rights reform or getting gun responsibility. And I mean, I, I went and shopped there as an expression of thanks. Um, truth be told, because where my parents lived in the small city is the only place you could shop. So whenever I'm at the farm, I go there and I'm constantly amazed that I've, buy a bag of groceries that would cost me 
$120 and it cost me $30. So I was like, okay, I should come more often. We can always take the podcast wherever it needs to go. So I'm actually just going to chime in and say to you that I recently, it had been years and years that I'd been in a Walmart and, um, and it was more actually out of convenience. They're just necessarily, if I needed something of that and maybe I went to Target or I ordered on Amazon, whatever, but I found myself in a Walmart about a month ago and I went in to get something very specific. I was looking for like a patio chair or something. And then I walked by, um, the aisle where they had like toiletries like toothpaste and deodorant and i'm looking at this stuff and i'm going this is the same exact brand product that i buy at walgreens like this is half the price or whatever (laughs) and i stocked up i couldn't believe it i couldn't believe it i really was so anyway we're not sponsored it's not you know a plug for walmart or anything but it is it is interesting that you and i both had that experience recently well and and you know what we're 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 talking about culturati i mean culturati is um first and foremost about figuring out how culture contributes to the desired results of the organization and the desired results of the organization are changing. Even the business round table, which was kind of late to the parade, but you know, led by Jamie diamond just announced last month or early this month, actually that profit maximization was no longer going to be the mantra for every public company. Well, like I said, that they're a little late to the parade. A bunch of us had already decided. And we're set up just for your own sake, you know, we're set up as a public benefit corporation, which at the time that we incorporated, um, it's done at the state level. My recollection is that maybe like 20 out of 50 states. And I think it's, it's almost, it's closer like 50 out of 50 now offer that designation. Um, you know, and for anyone that's listening along, I mean, the legal definition of a for-profit company, especially a publicly traded company is to maximize profits for shareholders. That's, that's what their goal is to do. Publicly traded company has both missions. And then, so to speak, in addition to that, there's a whole, you know, class of nonprofits and, and whatnot, which have their own kind of core purposes and stuff. Um, but I hadn't read that piece about Jamie Dimon and what they were trying to say. I think it's interesting. It's definitely just showing out. the continued shift, yeah. right? Um, and I think an acknowledgement that it can drive, that everybody can win, that it can drive profits. Right. It can, it, it, it can, it can certainly, you know, having, having a, a stewardship perspective of the community and the markets in which you operate, um, I would argue helps drive long-term value for the organization. If you are focused on maintaining healthy, maintaining and growing healthy markets over time, I believe your company is going to be even more valuable, but it, it may not be at the maximization of quarterly or even annual profits. No, I agree completely. I mean, I think something that I might just have to ponder on or as a takeaway for anyone listening, the thought that comes over my mind is always the challenge of public companies that are, you know, constantly under the pressure for quarterly, you know, earnings expectations. Um, and, and just obviously it's an obvious statement, but how that contrasts or conflicts with the longevity that you're talking about. Right. Sometimes I even thinking about it with respect to, the difference of like sales versus branding and marketing. I'm kind of going off the tangent here, but you for like pull out another bank, you think of like a bank of America, which is under the gun, obviously like I like all publicly traded companies to maximize profits, 
yet they have Bank of America Stadium, which is like, you know, down in Charlotte, which is like a huge, big investment in play in long term. Um, so it's a little bit of an aside, but, you know, this whole conversation was just amazing. I think kind of taking it back full circle, you know, the things that you shared about Entrepreneurs Foundation are so inspirational for me. And it's made me really realize just being a citizen in the community here, how much your work has gone to, to benefit, um, you know, everyone and the things that, you know, I'm used to. So I think it's really just wonderful. And I thank you so much for the work that you've done and that you're continuing to do um, because so many people and organizations are prospering because of it. And I think um, the value add for the companies in the area is just such a no brainer. Um, So I just say to that, and I think you had maybe mentioned it before, but if there's anyone listening that either works for a company and maybe wants to suggest it to their leadership or, you know, executives at a company in Austin that are, that are listening, um, should they go to your website? What would be the first way that they would kind of learn more and potentially um, engage with y'all? Yeah, you go to entrepreneursfoundation.org or culturatisummit.com and you can contact me at eugene at avporter.org. That's wonderful. Well, G- Eugene, thank you so much for being on. And to everyone that listened with us, thank you so much for being a listener to the Charity Charge podcast. I want to give a quick shout out at the end of this one to Ryan Burke, um, up at Commerce Bank. Thank you so much for your help and letting us know that you're uh, a loyal listener. Take care.